Junior Doctors Corner, the podcast that helps medical students and junior doctors like yourself not only survive but thrive in your careers. We cover topics including doctor well-being, career, and life outside of medicine. My name is Dana and I am your host for this podcast. Are you ready for a healthy dose of support, motivation, and inspiration? Then let's start this episode stat. Hey guys, welcome back to Junior Doctor's Corner. Before we jump into our episode, I have an exciting announcement to make. We are going to be launching episodes every fortnight from now on instead of every month. So that's double the number of awesomeness every month. So make sure you either subscribe to our email list to be notified or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter to be notified of new episodes. Now, today's episodes and interview I did with Dr. Shahina Braganza. She is an amazing emergency physician, but most importantly, she is a really, really great orator. And I am grateful that she made time for us to talk about her tips and tricks on how to be a really good speaker. Now, this is something that we don't think about because in medicine, we're just inundated with so much work and responsibilities and we're constantly studying, sitting for clinical exams that we forget sometimes that we have to do presentations or speak in front of people, particularly during journal club meetings or even present our findings at conferences. So I thought it'd be a good idea to ask Shahina for some tips and tricks to make your next presentation or speaking gig a lot easier. I apologize there was a bit of background noise in the recording of this interview because it was such a lovely day outside that Shahina and I decided to sit on her patio to do the recording. Enjoy! Thank you so much, Jahina, for inviting me to your beautiful home and for agreeing um, to this interview for Junior Doctors Corner. So welcome. Thank you, Dana. Thank you for coming to me. (laughs) Uh, So to start off with, for those um, of us who haven't had the pleasure of um, getting to know you or meeting you, can you please tell us a bit about yourself? I'll tell you about my professional self. So I am an emergency physician. Mm -hmm. I completed med school at the end of 1997 at the University of Tasmania uh, and I then completed my emergency medicine training at the end of 2005 um, and I have been an emergency physician since then uh, for about three years in the last little while I've also been the director of clinical training um, and I feel really fortunate to have had that experience because I think it really shaped the trajectory for Uh, you know, my subsequent career from there, Mm -hmm. in that it really honed my interest in junior and senior doctors, but it honed my interest in sort of the professional, technical aspects of our development as medical professionals, but also the non-technical or soft skills, as well as well-being and pastoral care issues. So that's basically me in a nutshell. I think it's important for me to say that I feel like I'm a really ordinary uh, (laughs) medical professional. Um, I really haven't done anything groundbreaking in my career, but um, 
I, I don't. I say that without apology. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am very happy and satisfied and content mm-hmm. with the opportunities that I've had, and I'm very content to basically just keep bumbling along. And um, who are you outside of that professional self? Uh, mostly, I am a mum <laughs> and a wife. Uh, I've got two young children, and I'd say they occupy my headspace. Uh, in most of that, you know, arena outside my professional life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, that's without apology as well, because mm. it's a privilege. Uh, I embrace it. My children uh, challenge me in a positive way. Uh, and it's like this, you know, this sense of being a continuous learner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's no more meaningful or humble way to explore that than as a parent. Okay, thank you for sharing that. Now, um, Shaheen, I've heard you speak on a number of um, occasions and in different settings, and you're always so well-spoken. What's your secret? Like, do you hire a coach? Or do you, did you used to do Toastmasters as a teenager? Like, what's your secret? Thanks, Dana. That's really generous of you uh, um, because I don't feel like that all the time. My evolution towards speaking has mainly occurred over the last two, two and a half years. And if you told me three years ago that I would be speaking in the manner that I've been speaking lately, um, I would have thought you were crazy (laughs) because I'm an inherently shy person uh, and I don't like being the centre of attention. I certainly don't like being on the stage in front of a room. Uh, I haven't had um, a coach or... Uh, you know, attended any training sessions, but I've had some amazing mentors. Mm -hmm. Uh, Victoria Brazel is Mm -hmm. an obvious one, and she pretty much comes up uh, in any talk that I, or any discussion that I have about issues like this. Um, For those of you who know Victoria, she is a very, very accomplished speaker, uh, and she gets paid to fly across the world and give keynote addresses, etc. But I've known Victoria since I was an intern, Mm -hmm. so since 1998, And even before she was doing what she's doing now, she was always incredibly thoughtful, organized, systematic. um, And, you know, what came out of her mouth was always very meaningful. And so I think in some ways um, she's been a role model in that sense, Mm -hmm. even before she started speaking more formally and more professionally. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the secret, as you say, is in having a message Uh, And then being passionate about that message. Uh, When I stand up in front of a crowd, it's never about me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's a consoling thought because, like I said, I'm typically a shy person. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if I were to stand in front of a group of people and think this is about me performing, that would probably paralyze me into fear. But if I can reframe the experience into this is about me standing here and imparting a message that I feel is really important, that I'm really passionate about, um, then that can be the focus of yep. what's happening here. Oh. And it can be the focus of, um, you know, my view on this, my third person view on this. Um, and I think that's one of my keys to alleviating the nerves and also then injecting energy into the talk. What's your most memorable um, speaking role or presentation that you've done? I think every year, one of the talks that I really look forward to, uh, spend a lot of time preparing and then get quite 
um, you know, heightened about is the talk that I give to the interns yeah. uh, at orientation. And this is a talk where um, you know, I share a story about when I experienced some burnout in my second year of training. And it's a talk that's designed to just um, plant a seed in mm-hmm. the heads of the audience that this might be something that you can't relate to at the moment, but maybe weeks or months or years or decades from then, you might experience some difficulty. Mm. And really my take-home message there is just that you won't be the first and you won't be the last. Mm. Please know that it's happened Mm. to me. Mm. Um, And that it's a normal part of working in the medical profession. So I feel really passionate about the message and I feel passionate about delivering it in a way that's kind of accessible, Mm -hmm. understandable, Mm -hmm. by an audience who's really not had that much exposure to the clinical, you know, arena Mm -hmm. as much as they're about to. Um, So that is a talk that I really do invest a lot of um, energy and emotion into. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm always quite exhausted at the end of it, uh, but always gratified as well. I can imagine. I mean, oh, you know, I was there when you gave me that talk as an intern, and I was just so um, in awe. And um, it, it was just inter- interesting to hear someone else's story of going through burnout. When it, too often, it's something. It's a word get that gets thrown around and does not have a lot of meaning unless um, I think a story goes with it. Um, so thank you for doing that talk every year. You're very welcome. Uh, now, as doctors, I think um, we get so caught up with um, improving our clinical skills and it is a very important part of what we do, but I think um, we sometimes neglect um, sharpening our speaking and presentation skills because um, every year or every rotation, um, we usually have to do some kind of presentation for our own education, um, or we have to talk in um, meetings, journal clubs, or even present at conferences. Um, so in your time um, as a consultant, um, have what's the most common mistake you've noticed your junior doctors make when it comes to presentations, and how can they fix it? I actually hesitate uh, to be too critical of when junior doctors give presentations because I think it's really brave and courageous uh, that they give presentations. I know that often you don't have a choice, uh, (laughs) but I'm always uh, in awe of when someone who's, you know, relatively junior in the team uh, stands up and gives a presentation, you know, whether it's on something fairly dry and scientific like, you know, migraine, or whether it's something more, uh, I guess, sophisticated or expanded, like something to do with professional skills or Mm -hmm. teamwork. Mm -hmm. Um, I always really admire the fact that they have um, stepped up and done that. Um, But in order to be uh, constructive, probably one of the things that I see often that I would encourage junior doctors to work towards is having less on your slides, if you're going to have slides, and certainly having less words on your slides. Right. Um, it, It is said that, you know, as humans, we can only kind of pay attention to one input at a time. Yeah. So you're going to either be listening to yep. the presenter yep. 
or you're going to be reading the slides. And you might think that you're able to do both at the same time, but actually you're just rapidly shifting attention between the two. And so I think as a presenter, it's a considerate thing to do to not bombard your audience with two sources of information. Mm -hmm. So while you're speaking, uh, maybe just have not more than maybe 10 words on a slide, uh, or you might even consider having a graphic Mm -hmm. uh, rather than words. Mm And um, someone who I think gives some brilliant direction regarding presentations is a man called Ross Fisher, Mm -hmm. who's a pediatric surgeon in the UK. And he has a website called P-Cubed. Um, or P to the power of three. Oh, I've heard of that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, he gives a lot of pearls of wisdom, but including things like, you know, sometimes someone will show you a big graph or a table. Um, if you put up a slide yep. and you're compelled to apologize for it straight away, <laughs> if you're going to apologize that it's small or apologize that it's too busy, yeah. Don't put up the whole slide. Just put up the relevant section. You know, do yeah. a screenshot yeah. um, and then just put up the relevant section. Yeah. And even if you're tempted to put up a big, busy slide, but then do a, you know, a red oval around it, right. uh, maybe try not to do that. Yeah. Just, just put up the bit that's in your red oval mm. because, again, you want to focus the audience's attention to the point that you want to make, yeah. uh, not to all of the noise that's outside the signal. Yeah. So attention to slides, I think, yeah. would be my, my constructive feedback. That, that's that's um, really funny because um, I've been to so many um, presentations and conferences where the speaker would put up, like you said, a busy slide, a big table, and they usually say, oh, sorry about the busy slide, but it doesn't really mean much. And it's like they talk and you can't see it anyway because mm-hmm. the word, the, all the words, the fonts are so small and then he moves on so quickly you don't even know what yeah. the table was yeah. about. Um, but I really do wonder just um, sort of maybe in jest whether um, – some speakers might intentionally put a lot of words on their slides just to distract the audience from themselves because they don't feel comfortable with speaking. Yes, uh, absolutely. And I, and, and I think that's when we kind of use PowerPoint or our slides as a crutch. Yeah. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I feel totally sympathetic about that. Um, and I, I think, um, you know, we can talk about what junior doctors can do to try and build that confidence. Yeah, so what are other ways, like um, apart from um, you said that shift our focus to more of the message that we're delivering, are there mm. any other tips on how someone can be more comfortable in their own skin giving a presentation? Uh, yeah, and let me disclose that I was absolutely that junior doctor who would have 10 dot points on a slide before. And it was largely because, you know, I wasn't thinking broadly about this. I wasn't really thinking about the experience of the audience, but also because I was just nervous and anxious and I was hoping that people would be so distracted by the slide. Um, I'm guilty of that. (laughs) They wouldn't pay attention to me. I remember, I think it was Vic Brazel who said, if someone asks, you know, if someone says, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry I missed your talk, Uh, can you please send me your slides? Mm. And if you can send them your slides and that's a substitute for your talk... then you know you should probably rethink yeah. how you do your presentations right. because your slide shouldn't just be you know a substitute for your talk there should be some kind of value add by you actually being in the room as your slides you know progress from slide 1 to slide 30 yeah. um one of the things that i did to try and develop my speaking skills was um 
practice, but in front of somebody. So mm-hmm. I guess deliberate practice. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard because, as you said, our big barrier is the nervousness and yeah. the anxiety. Yeah. So to actually put yourself out there and speak to someone, um, I think is really courageous. Mm-hmm. And because typically that's somebody you know or somebody you work with or a friend of yours. And I think that it is really harder to speak to an audience of one mm-hmm. than it is to speak to a faceless audience of a hundred. Right. Um, but my tip would be to, you know, uh, grit your teeth, just ask someone if they would listen to your talk yeah. and then do the whole talk from start to finish yeah. and ask them to give you ruthless feedback, step by step, from the introduction to the middle bits to the end. Yeah. Um, and then build up, you know, you're the first person that hears a given talk might be a nice sympathetic friend who's going to be nice and gentle to you. Yeah. Uh, but then maybe... Um, present your talk to a work colleague mm-hmm. um, who you might be less comfortable with yep. and then present your talk to a mentor. Like, you know, the first couple of times that I did a talk to Vic Brazel when she yep. was the only person in the room yep. was much more scary <laughs> than any big talk that I've ever done. Um, but that's where you get really good specific feedback right. about, um, you know, make your introduction more punchy mm. or <clears throat> even the flow of your talk mm. um, you kind of go from place to place and it's yeah. a bit hard for the audience to keep up with you why don't you start with the introduction present what the challenge is and then present what the solutions are mm. before then having your punchy closing statement that right. people are going to remember mm. and so if you can practice your talk with someone who's going to give you that really specific tangible feedback yeah as opposed to a sympathetic friend that's going to go, that's really great, off yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's, um, that's a really useful thing to do. Yeah. And I can imagine from, um, you know, rehearsing a number of times with maybe a couple of colleagues or whether it's with family, um, by the time you actually get to the point where you present in front of the audience, you're so familiar with what you're going to say that um, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I have had the anxiety of, oh, I'm going to forget what I'm about Mm -hmm. to say. Mm -hmm. So um, instead we would be more comfortable and just be present when we're actually presenting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's another sort of strategy that's referred to as over practicing, mm. you know, practicing until it almost becomes automatic mm. so that when you are delivering the talk, you can feel comfortable with the message and then really inject that emotion and that passion into it as opposed to a monotonous robotic. Okay, yeah. I'm done. I've yeah. said the words, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just like, I remember like doing my first ever big conference um, presentation about a paper I wrote and I was just so nervous that, um, and I made the mistake of normally before my presentations, I would um, rehearse in front of at least a couple of family members or some friends. And I made the mistake of not rehearsing with anyone. And um, I was just clutching my, that piece of paper, the script that I'd written out and I was reading out word for word, didn't trust myself to know sure. the content yeah. because I was so nervous. Yeah. And that's very understandable. You know, there's going to be times when you're not quite as prepared as you were hoping to be. You know, stuff happens, life happens. And I think it's important when that happens just to be kind to yourself. Yeah. Um, Because even though you would have liked to have presented that something in a different way, Mm. um, the fact is you actually wrote a paper and you had something to share. (laughs) So that's still a big thing to have done. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So the other thing that I think trips people are, or certainly myself, um, is question time. You know, at the end of a presentation, it's 
courteous, I guess, um, to at least ask your audience, you know, open up to if they have any questions. And I find myself 90% of the time hoping and wishing that no one would put their hand up and ask a question. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have any tips for um, sort of tackling that? I think, again, if you are really passionate about your message and informed about your message, then hopefully you won't be asked a question that's going to throw you. Mm. Um, But if you are, I think just be upfront and say, I haven't thought about that or I've never thought about it that way or, you know what, I've never come across that before, but Mm. thank you very much. Mm. Um, I am going to go and look that up. Or you might even say to the person who's asked the question or the rest of the audience, has anyone else had any experience, um, you know, with this? Uh, And basically use your audience and the people in the room as a resource. But there might be some other speakers that might be able to tackle the question as well. Um, And I think there's nothing quite like that humility that comes with the presenter who at that time is the person with authority. Mm -hmm. Just saying, I don't know, but Mm. I will find out. Mm. Um, it's also quite hard when there's no questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I know some speakers who typically plant at least one question in the audience. Oh, okay. Because um, at least then it looks like one person's been paying attention. Right. Uh, and the, the final thing I'll say about that is to try not to end your presentation on questions. Right. Try and have the question bit, but then still come back so that you present the closing part of your presentation. Okay. And I think what that achieves is that rather than your presentation dwindling because nobody else, you know, had any more questions to ask, everyone was bored and just wanted to move on. Yeah. At least you've got this nice, short, sharp end to your presentation and perhaps a take-home message as well. Yeah. So maybe just keep one or two sentences, which are your, you know, your parting uh, words. Um, just to finalize your talk so that you are the last person to speak as opposed to the silence being the last part of your presentation. Oh, that's a really great tip. I have yet to come across that and I'm going to start using it from now on. Thank you for that. Give it a try. (laughs) Any other uh, advice for junior doctors who would like to up-level their speaking and presentation skills? I mean, we've covered quite a lot. Mm. Um, It sounds like it's pretty important. Focus on our message, maybe get a role model, um, but anything else that you can think of? It's certainly that PQ website, but also just listen to presentations. Mm-hmm. Um, TED has got yes, I love thousands, yep. hundreds of thousands of talks of different lengths. Yep. Uh, and maybe think about what you like about a speaker's style, what you don't like about a speaker's style, and also develop your own style. Yeah. Um, I figured out quite early that I was never going to be Victoria Brazel. (laughs) And a kind person said to me once after a presentation, uh, because I was, you know, lamenting that I'm never going to be Vic Brazel. (laughs) And someone said to me, you don't have to be Vic Brazel. You just have to be Shahina Braganza. Exactly. Um, And so I think, um, you know, watch, observe a whole heap of different people and different Mm. styles Mm. but just develop your own style that's comfortable for you that's you know authentic to who you are um and that's probably my main tip okay thank you um and just to sort of um I guess help our audience um connect 
um, a lot more on a very human level with you. Um, do you happen to have had any embarrassing moments while speaking or presenting in front of an audience? I mean, I certainly have, but just, sure. what about yourself? Fortunately, Dane, I've not had any in real life. I've had a lot of dreams yeah. <laughs> about, typically, about not wearing any clothes when I'm presenting. <laughs> so they're and real. Then, <laughs> I, I only heard of people, yeah. I wonder just, what the analysis yeah. behind that is. Um, so compared to that dream, I've never had any um, really horrible moments. But what I have experienced is two things. Firstly, either just being exhausted yeah. at the start of a talk. I remember doing a talk to the anaesthetists uh, before Christmas about 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really... Um, chuffed to have been invited mm. uh, to talk about well-being, wellness, and even professionalism to the anaesthetists at our health service. And I was so invested because, you know, previously I'd talked to either a converted audience or a forced audience of interns. Um, and here I was, you know, going to be talking to my professional colleagues um, who may not have previously been exposed Uh, or thought that much about wellness or professionalism or team dynamics. So I was really invested in that talk. And then, as it turned out, the week or two prior to that just ended up being just really busy and messy. So by the time I arrived on that Friday morning, I was just really tired. And the last place I wanted to be was in front of an audience of about 60 Mm. anaesthetists and trainees. Mm. But I've learned in my clinical role as well that you're you're not always going to be 100% when you're put in a position that you need to perform. You're not always going to be able to bring your A game. Mm. Sometimes you might not even be able to bring your B game. (laughs) But, you know, I think you've just got to do the best um, you can with Mm -hmm. what you've got at the time. Mm -hmm. And I've learned to be more forgiving of myself. And so, you know, there's self-talk, I suppose, subconsciously that said, uh, you know, you're not totally on fire this morning, um, but just do your best. Yeah. Uh, and you, you, you know what it is you want to say. Yeah. You're not going to remember all the phrases just right. Um, but if you can just keep it simple, mm-hmm. that's probably what's going to keep it meaningful. And the other thing that I've experienced is, again, typically when I've been tired, I've just drawn these mental blanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at a, speaking at an APLS conference once along the same themes where there must have been at least four occasions where I totally forgot what needed to come next. Um, And so I just kind of paused, looked at the floor. (laughs) And afterwards, the chair of the conference, you know, came and talked about uh, my presentation. And he said, there were quite a few moments when you paused. And I wasn't sure whether you'd just forgotten what you needed to say or whether you were pausing for effect. (laughs) (laughs) And I said to him, what would you like to believe? (laughs) And he said, I'd like to believe that you were pausing for effect. Yep, and I said, I was pausing for effect. <laughs> That's very um, nice. <laughs> so I guess um, capitalize, yep. um, try to capitalize on where you might be stumbling. Mm. I think just own it and embrace it. Uh, because again, I think there's nothing more connecting with your audience than humility, but then also that vulnerability mm. of, you know, I'm totally capable of making an error. I'm totally capable of coming out here and doing something far from perfect. But luckily, that is my message. That is my signature. So every time I fail, in inverted commas, I actually succeed. (laughs) That's great. That's a wonderful way of looking at it. Um, And so I think that um, it's amazing how you've um, not only started sort of improving your own um, speaking 
um, how should I say, role or presentations um, because you really enjoy learning it and you had a role model um, that you um, look up to and get a lot of feedback from. Um, But then you've taken it to the next step and um, become someone who speaks formally, um, get invited uh, invited to um, events to give your message. Um, What um, advice do you have for junior doctors who are interested in, you know, go putting getting their foot in the door for that sort of career or side hustle? <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I understand the question. I've found that basically the more I speak, the more I get asked to speak. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that that's just about exposure. You know, there might be someone in the audience who either at that time or months from then is part of an organizing committee Mm. of some other conference Mm -hmm. or get together Mm -hmm. and they'll think, oh, there was that person that did that talk Mm -hmm. along this theme. Mm -hmm. I wonder if she might be available. And then I get an email to ask if I can come and speak. So I guess step one to that is, again, just putting yourself out there Mm -hmm. um, and showing up, uh, showing up to stuff, uh, speaking as far from perfect as your first, um, you know, experiences might be. Um, just step up, do it, become visible, um, become accessible as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, I found that funnily enough, the more I speak, the more I get asked to speak. Okay. So last question, and this is a question I ask all my um, guests on this podcast. So can you name one, or it can be two things mm-hmm. um, that keep you sane in your crazy busy life? Sure. Uh, there's probably a few things, and this is a work in progress for me. I, I acknowledge that probably from the outside, I look like everything's sorted. Yes, it does. <laughs> it does, Shane. Yeah, it really, really does. It's really important <laughs> to me that people know yeah. uh, that, you know, I have a lot of privilege and opportunity and a lot of advantages in life, but like I bumble along from day to day the same as everyone. I drop balls all the time. I mess things up. Um, But what I have learned at age 45 that I didn't know even at 35, definitely did not know at 25, um, is that you just have to just learn to be kind to yourself. Because I think at 25 and 35, when you do drop a ball, particularly when you're built like us, you know, who've been somewhat selected into the medical profession, you just enter this... um, response of like self-flagellation you beat yourself up and judge yourself and you know I think the kind of things we say to ourselves in our head are more unkind than the things that we would say to our least favorite person (laughs) you you can be your own worst enemy Um, and I'm really grateful for this wisdom and clarity that seems to be coming with age that you you just have to be your best friend mm-hmm. um you know you need to be your own cheerleader you yep. need to be in your own corner and you just need to be able to forgive yourself when things don't go quite as planned mm-hmm. and so I try now you know when stuff goes wrong just to say you know you kind of prepared for this as best you could you had every good intention but for whatever reason whether it was my issue or someone else's mm-hmm. issue mm-hmm. um it just didn't go to plan but you know, keep it in perspective. It's not the end of the world. What can you learn from this for next time? And maybe next time you'll still mess it up again. Um, but it's probably okay. That's probably the biggest key is, you know, be kind to yourself. 
Thank you so much for sharing that, Shahina. This interview has been like a gold mine of awesome nuggets of advice and wisdom. So thank you so much for letting me interview you on Junior Doctors Corner. My absolute pleasure, Dana. Um, anytime. And thank you for the work you're doing because it is totally uh, aligned with where I think we really need to move as a profession. And it absolutely warms my heart that you're putting your soul and energy into this. Oh, thank you. If you really like that episode, please don't forget to leave a review on iTunes to help a sister out. And don't forget to subscribe to our email list so that you never miss an episode.